Jesus is known not just for the statements he made, but for the questions he asked. Questions that challenge the religious and those who feel far from God. Questions that reveal his purpose and his plan. Questions that cut to the heart of our beliefs, our motives, and our identity. I wonder, how will you answer the questions Jesus asked? Uh, good morning to everybody in the room and those of you that are watching at home online. I'm glad that you've chosen to join us. I want to say thank you for the incredible feedback that we've actually gotten uh, when we released our podcast on the very tough topic of abortion. We gave a call to action to our church, and so many of you have responded, and I deeply, deeply appreciate that. We dropped a new episode just this week, and if you listen to it, you're going to enjoy uh, the unfiltered responses from my wife, my son, Braden, and myself to your asking for a friend questions. You didn't hold back on the questions. We didn't hold back on the answers. Pastor Brian moderated it. We had a lot of fun. And so I'd encourage you, if you'd like to listen, we'd like to welcome you into that space as well. So about a year after I stepped into leadership here at Christ the King, I took a mission trip to Ukraine. I was able to uh, preach and teach to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, and I was so excited to not only be able to do that, but to also visit some of the orphanages that we were supporting at the time. So a team of three of us from Christ the King flew from Seattle to Kiev, and then we drove to the city of Dnipropetrovsk, and then we continued on to two villages, Zelnodosk and Apostlova. We were excited to not only do God's work, but to see God's work. The heartbreaking reality today is that both of those villages have been bombed, and the orphans that were there have to be evacuated. Many of the churches and college ministries that we worked with are no longer located in Ukraine, but they're still doing the ministry of God, even though they've had to be relocated in the face of war. But as our trip drew to a close, rumors of political unrest began to circulate. And way back when, 2004, what became known as the Orange Revolution was taking place in Kiev. Thousands upon thousands of people took to the city center to make sure that a Kremlin-backed president would not actually be allowed to take power. That's happening in Kiev. I'm a few hours away, and word began to leak as I'm sitting just a few hours away that Russian troops were going to be sent into Kiev to lock down the airport, the airport that I was supposed to leave out of. I was a little freaked out because Laurel and my kids are on the other side of the world, and I have no idea, no way of contacting her, and I have no idea what kind of news is being carried back home. And so I'm, I'm considering some level of panic our team decided to hire a driver to get us back to Kiev. We nicknamed him Rocket Man. Rocket Man took my prayer life to a whole new level. I was afraid the entire drive, not just because of his driving, but because of what could be awaiting us at the airport. So he pulls into the front of the Kiev International Airport. I grab my bag, I head inside, and the airport is completely empty. There's no troops, no airport personnel, no people, nothing. And it was spooky in an empty airport sort of a way. I see down this long hallway and there's a lady in a blue uniform. And so I, I, I call out to her and I run up to the gate. She's from British Airways and this is what she says to me. She says, our last flight out is leaving right now and we have no idea when we're coming back. So if you want to get out, let's go. So I went <laughs> very quickly and found out I was the only passenger on a 747 other than the crew. 
service was amazing. It was incredible. <laughs> Psychologists say there are three human responses to fear. Fight, flight, or freeze. Well, I took flight to a whole new level, and we flew right out of there. I don't remember much about the flight because once I realized I was safe, this, this whole wave of emotion just kind of poured out of me, and I was out like a light. Now, looking back now, I realized that on the way to the airport, fear actually had a voice. Some of you have experienced that voice before. The voice that was talking in my head said, you're never going home. God isn't taking care of you. You're on your own. That's what I heard. And I know right now in this room and at home, fear may be talking to you too. You may be hearing, you're never going to make it or you will never recover from this. You may be hearing, this is where it all ends and and you're going to be exposed for what and who you really are. You may be hearing something terrible is going to happen to you or there's no hope, it's all gone or you're on your own or the worst is yet to come. Or maybe you're hearing no one cares, no one sees, God's abandoned you, so you better be afraid. We all face fear, and today Jesus is going to speak into our fear in a very real way. I want to talk to the veterans for just a second. Many of you have heard this Bible story so many times, and you're going to be tempted to minimize the power of it because it's just too familiar. You know, over-familiarity can rob us of God's wisdom, just like fear can. So I just want to encourage you. Even if you know the story, don't give in to that temptation. Just listen and immerse yourself in the story because I know God has something for all of us today. Before we jump into the story, here's what you need to know. Jesus has been teaching all day. He's been dealing with crowds and family tension and this rookie leadership team that's having a hard time keeping up. And he's poured himself out all day. And then this is what happens in Mark chapter 4. That day, when evening came, He said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also some other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves quiet be still and the wind died down and it was completely calm he said to his disciples why are you so afraid do you still have no faith and they were terrified and asked each other who is this even the wind and waves obey him Jesus speaks to fear with a voice of authority and calm, and he wants to speak to your fear in exactly the same way. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back through the story, line by line, and listen to Jesus speak to fear. It starts with this verse, that day, that day, and you'll notice as they pop up on the screen, I emphasized a few things along the way because I just want you to pay attention. A couple of details are going to show up. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side now i already mentioned it but it's important to note again jesus has spent the whole day teaching and ministering to people he's spent i'll tell you something after a morning of preaching teaching and ministering to people i am spent when i go home in the afternoon i'm a zombie and i usually retreat to the other side of the county 
to be alone. I just want to be alone. This may surprise you. I'm an introvert. I get paid to be an extrovert, but I'm an introvert, which means I recharge away from people. Jesus was an introvert. And all the introverts are really excited about hearing that. Because he loved people, but he had to draw away to recharge. He's poured himself out. He's exhausted, not only because of what he just expended, but because of what he knows is coming on the other side of the lake. Here's another note. Jesus knew the group was heading into hostile territory. Okay, so Jesus is God. He knows everything. And he knows waiting for him on the other side of the lake is a demonic confrontation and a hostile crowd in the making. You should read the story. It's in the very next chapter. So he has this exhausting day behind him. And when evening came, he said to those who knew him best, let's go to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along. I love this little phrase. Just as he was in the boat. I've been intrigued by that phrase all week long. Just as he was. Scholars actually have no idea what it means. I check commentary after commentary. There's no consensus. No one really knows because the the language, the original language is not definitive. It just says they took him along just as he was. And I don't know how you picture it, but I picture it this way. Raw, exhausted, no prep, no rain jacket, no umbrella, just bone tired and weary. And you know why I love that? Do you know why I love a Jesus who went just as he was? Because I believe it shows us a beautiful truth. Jesus went just as he was so that he could receive you just as you are. Let's be honest right now. You're worn out, weary, disillusioned, angry, frustrated, scared, empty, broken, battered, joyful, exuberant, trusting. How are you really? Hurting, alone, concerned, worried, put off, disgusted, disheartened, ready to dance with joy. God will take you just as you are. Just be honest about how you are. And know this. Jesus will take you just as you are, but he will not leave you that way. (laughs) I came to Jesus ashamed, apathetic, and arrogant, and he took me just as I was, and I have a promise that he who began a good work in me is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Wherever you are, however you are, come to Jesus. He'll take you just that way. The Bible continues and says there were also other boats with him. Verse 37, a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The Sea of Galilee is one of the only places on the face of the planet where four weather systems can converge simultaneously. The storms on the Sea of Galilee are actually legendary. On that little body of water, and it's not a very big lake, waves of over 20 feet have been measured. You can imagine being in a boat about 20-some feet long, six to seven feet wide. It's covered in the front, open in the back, one mast up the center of it, and you are in 20-foot waves. I talked to an Alaska fisherman after the first service. He said, I've been in 20-foot rollers in a 52-foot steel boat and have been scared to death. He goes, I can't even imagine what these guys were feeling. It's a dangerous lake in a storm. 
It was a furious and physical storm that threatened to kill people, and it teaches some very deep spiritual truth. Truth number one, the storm was unforeseen and unexpected for everyone except Jesus. He knew it was coming. It did not catch him off guard. When the wind kicked up, it was not a surprise. Jesus didn't sit up in the boat and go, I did not see this storm coming knew exactly what was happening. Why does that matter to you? Why does it matter to me? It matters because Jesus knows every single storm you will ever face in your lifetime. Not a single one of them has caught him off guard. Secondly, the storm was furious, life-threatening. That word furious means angry. It was an angry storm. This was no little ripple. This was no Pacific Northwest drizzle. This was a perfect storm. And you need to notice something. Jesus was not phased or intimidated. He was sleeping. Why does that matter to you? It matters because Jesus not only knows every storm you will ever face, he's not threatened by any storm you will ever face. You may be afraid, but the king that you serve is not. In fact, look at how unconcerned Jesus is. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Not sleeping on the job, sleeping on a cushion. I did a lot of research on the correlation between sleep and safety, and here's what I can tell you. Jesus was sleeping for two very legitimate reasons. Number one, pure exhaustion. He was exhausted. And secondly, he was sleeping because he had a knowledge that God his Father had put everything under his control. It's an important truth. We get to see both exhaustion and trust in exactly the same moment. If you're exhausted and still trusting, you're okay. So I got a question for you. It's about as practical as it gets. Christ the King, whether you're in the room or at home, and if you are at home, I hope you're not sleeping on the sofa, all right? Stay with me. But I got a question. How are you sleeping? I mean, do you rest in the knowledge that Jesus is not threatened by any storm? Are are you spent having poured yourself out on the mission of Jesus and then resting because you know God has everything under control? Do you actually sleep really well because of who God is? Or do you toss and turn every single night trying to figure out how you are going to fix all of your issues or how you are going to fix all the problems in the world? As a pastor, I actually hear this a lot. People will come up and say, Grant, I'm so concerned about our country and our future. It's keeping me awake at night. I always say, why? You shouldn't be surprised. Jesus told us that lawlessness was going to increase. Jesus told us human beings were going to become lovers of themselves and become fixated on all of their own needs. Jesus said this is exactly how it was going to play out. So why is this surprising to you? I'm going to take it another step further, though. Jesus also told us not only would all of this stuff happen, but in the end, he was going to come back. And then when he did come back, he would take his children with him. And that victory was absolutely certain. So what's the lesson? Work hard, rest easy. Work hard and rest easy. Jesus has been working hard. Now he's resting and trusting. That's just good Bible right there. 
And the story continues. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? I want to remind you, some of these men are seasoned fishermen. They're not new to storms. They've experienced storms on this lake before. And they're terrified. They actually think this is it. They believe they're going to drown. They know how to swim. They're experienced, but they're terrified. This is what I love about this piece of the story. The wind and the waves didn't wake Jesus, but the voices of his children did. He hears you. He hears you. And I have no idea what questions you're asking. I can imagine what some of the questions were. When Jesus finally opened his eyes, Jesus, why aren't you helping? Like, we're getting swamped here. Why aren't you bailing water? What, what, what do your questions sound like? Jesus, my business is going under. Why don't you help? <laughs> Jesus, my marriage feels like a minefield. Where are you as I'm fighting for this relationship? Jesus, can you actually hear me? Can I tell you, he hears you. He cares. He saves, not always on our timeline or with our prescribed plan, but he hears, he cares, he saves. He's not roused by the wind and the waves. What wakes him up is the plea of his children. He hears you. Now watch God move. Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. I love this part. My imagination just goes crazy. See, Jesus flips over on the cushion, looks at these guys, rubs the sleep out of his eyes. One of them holds a bucket out. He pushes it out of the way. It's just like, why aren't you taking the bucket? You need to bail. Like, let's go. The rest of us are bailing. We're trying to keep this thing from being submerged. He walks towards the front of the boat. Why are you getting up on the bow? I don't understand it. And what did you just say? Quiet. Be still. Literal translation. And I need you to know something. The words be quiet are the same words that Jesus uses when he's addressing a demon. That kind of authority happens in this moment. With the same authority that makes a demon run from the room, Jesus says to the storm, be muzzled. Literal translation. He talks to the storm like a puppy. Hey, you little yapper, zip it. Stop barking. You're freaking out my kids. Quiet, be still. Be muzzled. And the storm listens. There was power and authority spoken in just those four words. And the result is interesting. It says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm, not a ripple. The language is worth noting here. It happens in a flash of time. The calm comes in an instant. It goes from chaos to calm instantaneously. Jesus says the words, be quiet, be still. Now it's whoosh. And it's calm, not just for Jesus and his disciples, but for all of the boats that were out on the lake. Boy, we can learn something from that. It's interesting that Mark would write down there were other boats with him. 
Why would that detail matter? It matters because all of the boats experience the same calm. When God calms a storm, there's benefit for everybody on the lake. There's truth here. I've learned something. In times of great fear, people who are afraid gravitate towards people who are not afraid. Have you ever noticed that? They're looking for somebody to be unafraid. And suddenly, they're looking at Jesus because he's the calm one, and it's a rallying point. There is a truth here. The peace of God has an effect on more than just you when you choose to embrace it. When you say, I will not be afraid, people take notice. If you want to be a godly example in a crazy world, be calm. Watch what happens. So some of you will know this, some of you won't, but every Saturday, I call my wife and I preach the message to her and she gives me feedback. It's incredible. It's just amazing to be able to work together. So yesterday, I preached the message. Laurel helped me make it better. And then a little while later, she texted me these words. She said, when we put our trust in Jesus, our focus moves from the power of the storm to the power that he has over it. Hmm. Let me say that again. When we put our trust in Jesus, our focus moves from the power of the storm to the power that he has over it. Jesus has complete authority over the storm. He tells it to be quiet. It goes instantly calm. And then a conversation happens. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. I want you to notice something. The fear didn't stop, it just shifted. The fear shifts from the storm to the Savior who's in the boat with them. They actually continue to be afraid. So let's talk about these red letter questions for just a few moments. Christ the King, why are you so afraid? I didn't ask you what are you afraid of. Let's get up underneath of that. Why are you so afraid? You say you trust God, do you? What's the root of your fear? We said last week that, that worry is momentary practical atheism. It's when people who profess to say God is in complete control suddenly lapse in that and they actually are living out a different reality. I'm not sure God is in control. We talked about this last week. And Pastor Melanie said this. She said, what should have been a peaceful moment was just continued fear because we often experience fear where we don't understand. Our human tendency is to spend time trying to understand, so we substitute Google for God. That's good. She also said the safest place we can be is trusting Jesus, even when we don't understand. The disciples did not understand what had just happened. There was a storm. Jesus said, be still, and the storm listened. <laughs> But instead of embracing the deity of Jesus in that moment, they allowed fear to fill them again. It's an unhealthy fear of God. Can I tell you what an unhealthy fear of God sounded like for me as I was growing up? 
It sounded like this. This is what I believed. God is sad or mad with me all of the time. He passively observes my pain, but I know he can squash me like a bug, so I'm going to behave and pretend that I'm okay. That's what an unhealthy fear of God looks like and sounds like. But let me address the difference between an unhealthy fear and a proper fear of God. I think the disciples were wrapped in an unhealthy fear in that moment because they forgot who was actually with them in the boat. Here's my definition of a healthy fear of God. It means this. I stand in awe of the power, holiness, love, justice, and wrath of God. I stand in awe of that. But instead of cowering in fear and covering my head and hoping he doesn't crush me, instead I draw near because he's my father. All of his power is for me, not against me. He's my father, and I'm his child. So I'm going to show you a photo. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to put your politics for a side. Just put your politics off to the side. Don't worry. You're fine. Don't be afraid. You're good. I'm going to show you a picture of a photo because I believe it embodies what we're talking about today. Okay? Let's show the photo. Let's put it up on the screen behind me. And I just want you to kind of soak it in for a second and look at all the details. John F. Kennedy at the time was arguably the most powerful man on the planet. As the president, he had command of the most advanced military known to man. He commanded policies that controlled the largest free economy in the world. The president had unprecedented power that was worthy of respect. And some people might even say, you should fear him. But to John F. Kennedy Jr., the little boy who's playing under the desk, John F. Kennedy was just daddy. And the Oval Office, to him, was not just the seat of modern power. No, it was a, it was a great place to play. You know why? Because his dad was in charge. In many ways, we've lost a healthy fear of God. We've answered the question, who's this with a caricature of Jesus, not the truth of Jesus? So let's set the record straight. Jesus is God. Jesus is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, and all-victorious. Jesus is in a perfect relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three. Can't explain it. It's a mystery. Jesus is all that God is. Justice, holiness, and he's one with his Father. And you are his children. And this is what he says to his kids today. John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He'll take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 365 times in the Bible. Does that, does that number sound familiar to anybody? 
365 times in the Bible, God says, do not be afraid. One for every single day of the year. That's not a coincidence, that's God's sovereignty. You're covered. Let's go back to the second red letter question for just a second. The first one was, why are you so afraid? And I hope as I was reading scripture over you, that you walk out of here with at least one or two more reasons to be fearless this week. There's a second question. Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it's amazing. This is how my brain works. Sometimes I get all the way to the end of the story and I forget what's happened at the beginning. What did Jesus say at the very beginning of the narrative? He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. He doesn't say, let's go to the center of the lake and drown. No, he says, let's go to the other side of the lake. He's making a promise. You stick with me, you get to the other side. But you got to stick with me. For you, for me, I, I have some questions. Did Jesus say, I may leave you and I might forsake you? Did he say, some of my power is available to you? Did he say, try harder and let's just see how this works out? No. I read my Bible this week. It's in there. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He said, all of my power is available to you. He promised, I began a good work in you and I'm going to bring it to completion. If you stick with me, I'll get you to the other side. I'm not saying there aren't going to be storms. That shouldn't surprise any of us. The Bible says in this world, you will have trouble but it's okay, I've overcome the world. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm going to get you to the other side. You will experience storms, but you're going to weather them because Jesus is with you and he promised all of his children, you're going to make it safely home. Stay in the boat with Jesus. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Why? Why does God want us to be free from fear? Here's what I believe. This is my conviction. I believe God wants us to be free from fear because when fear goes out of our life, all of that energy, all of that attention can be focused back on Jesus. When you clear fear out of the memory banks and your sleeping patterns, you experience joy, exhilaration, worship, passion, life, and life to the full. Just like, why are you wasting your time wrapping yourself in fear when you could be putting yourself fully and completely in the boat with a God who can talk to wind and can talk to waves and they actually listen? I don't care if it's a cultural wind or a national wind or a personal wind. When God says, shh, it happens. 
Laying down fear frees up space to live life to the full. One more little verse. You should check it out. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 3 is a messianic portrayal of Jesus. It's a description of Jesus written 700 years before he even showed up. And it says this, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It doesn't say he will cower. It doesn't say he will panic. It says he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because he knows his father. And his father has everything under control. Even when there's water coming into the boat, he has everything under control. If you call on his name, he will hear you. That's why we keep coming back to this idea, this beautiful truth. Speak Jesus. So, we're going to pray, and I'd like to invite you into a moment, whether you're in the room or at home today. I'd like to invite you into a moment of really asking the question of yourself. Why am I so afraid? Not what are you afraid of? Boy, we could all make a list, couldn't we? But why are you so afraid? Do you really trust God or, or not? So let's pray together. Whether you're at home or right here in the room right now, let's just pray. We're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, just so we can concentrate. And I'm going to give you 60 seconds just to have a conversation with Jesus yourself. Not to give a list of what you're afraid of, but, but to talk about why you're afraid. And my prayer is that you'll come back to a place of complete trust. And that you'll grab a hold of the promise today that God's going to get you to the other side. 60 seconds, just you and Jesus talking about the why. Father God, I know that with all of us together, we probably have very different reasons to the why. But I pray that into each of the moments that you would speak your promises. We're going to get to the other side. You will weather the storm. Don't listen to fear. Listen to me. Because if God is for you, who or what could possibly be against you? So, Father, we come today and I pray that we would be able to answer the red letter question with trust, conviction, and hope. God, replace our fear with joy this week, I pray, as we trust you more. 
We pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus, speaking Jesus over our fear. And all God's people said, amen. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna respond. To those of you that are home, I'm gonna invite you to respond in this moment as well. Sometimes you need to make a declaration. I am no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because I'm a child of God. So would you stand with me in the room? If you're at home, you want to stand too. We'd welcome you into this moment and let's worship 